Good morning, my friend. Dr. Lee Warren here coming at you on Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. It is 5 o'clock in the morning, and I am excited to be with you. My voice is not perfect, but it's getting better. I did five hours of interviews yesterday. Um, I had five different ones. I was on somebody else's podcast, and we had four different guests that were scheduled. Because I was sick, um, I got backed up on all these conversations that we were having for um, these Hope Talks and another series that we're going to be doing called Everyday Hope that Lisa came up with. And, and we just had a great day yesterday, but my voice uh, made it. Um, it's not perfect this morning, but I can definitely tell that there's some fatigue from yesterday. And so just keep praying, please, that my voice keeps getting stronger. we got some incredible emails and encouragement from lots of you out there across the world um, yesterday. Um, one really sweet one was from a woman named Jonna Johnston. We've talked to about Jonna on the podcast before, um, but she sent some text messages that she's been getting from people that she shared the podcast with, um, and it seems to be helping folks uh, around her circle. So thank you so much. Jonna and everybody who's sharing the podcast. We're definitely growing. I'll give you some perspective on that. As it stands today, going into the 20th of June, we're at about 42,000 downloads for the month, which before September of last year, that would have been the biggest month we ever had. Um, we were kind of consistently in the high 20s and early 30,000s, uh, low 20, uh, high 20 and low 30,000s uh, in monthly downloads before September of last year when I switched to Substack and it immediately went up um, solidly into the 40, 50, 60,000 range um, every month now. So, so obviously y'all are sharing it you're you're posting it you're you're getting it out there and that's the best way to grow this you know don't have advertisers uh, don't want to do that um, I want to keep it where we can completely control the content and talk about what this community needs and so I haven't ever tried to seek out advertising um, so just just know that the best way to get um, hope to somebody else is to share something hopeful for you with them whether it's a scripture or a book or even if it's just this podcast sharing it with other people liking leaving reviews that sort of thing is how we grow and i really appreciate uh, jonna and all the kind of ambassadors of the podcast that we've developed um and it's just wonderful to have such a community of sharing these positive messages around um today i've got the first of what we're going to call hope talks i reached out to the folks who are endorsing the book in, in clusters the first group of them have all committed to get on the show and talk about um how sort of my treatment plan has helped them and and what their thoughts are about hope and and some of the hard things that they've been through and it's going to be a, a wonderful series and the first one yesterday um was i'm going to reintroduce you to clarissa mall Clar Chris was back on the sh was on the show for the first time last fall when her book Beyond the Darkness came out, and I don't know if you've heard that or not. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But Clarissa has an incredible story. She lost her husband. She had four young kids. It was a tragic accident, and all of a sudden went from being a, a mom um, to and a, and a wife to being a widow with four kids and having to figure out how to feed them and take care of them and become the breadwinner and all that stuff and and just thrust her into this darkness and she writes this beautiful book that she calls A Gentle Guide for how to recover after big things happen like that in life and I thought Clarissa would be the first the, the perfect first hope talk to have um, about all this since my book Hope is the First Dose is coming out and at the end of this conversation I'm going to give you a brand new song from Matt Mayer and Paul Balash and Taylor Leonhardt 
called Those Who Have Not Seen. And this this song is kind of a, a look at the, the Doubting Thomas story uh, when Jesus told Thomas, you're, you're blessed because you've seen, or you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So so Thomas was was blessed because he had faith, but he needed to see proof first. And I relate to that because I have a lot of doubt um, after I lost Mitch. I, I even said it. I, I don't really think I can believe he's gone until I see him. And then I did see him and I saw his wounds and I saw how the corner had put him back together. And I remember being so angry that I looked at, at the stitching on his neck and I thought I could have done that better myself. And it, it just made me really mad that my son was gone and that and that somebody else had sewn up his wounds and, it, and I wasn't there for him. And all these complex emotions happened. And, and so that, that, that metaphor of not believing until I saw it really resonated with me. And Clarissa said something similar in her book after Rob died when the police came to the campsite to tell her that he had fallen and died. And, and she said, I'm, I don't believe it until I say it out loud myself. Like she had to sum up the courage to speak out into the world. My husband is dead. And, and she talks about that beautifully in a very vulnerable way of how it was so hard to come to grips with the reality that he was really gone. And we had a great talk about it yesterday and just kind of a, a wonderful talk about how you move forward after the worst thing, the massive thing happens in your life. I think it'll bless you. My voice was better yesterday than it is today, so please thank you for tolerating me this morning. But I really wanted to give you this hope talk with Clarissa Mall. She's a great example of how you can't change your life until you change your mind. Even when you're in the deepest, darkest hole that you can imagine, God will be faithful and he will guide you gently out of that hole. And and Clarissa's a a great uh, proxy for that because she gives us a great example of how to do it uh, with great faith. And then at the end of the conversation we're gonna have this wonderful new song those who have not seen by paul balash matt mayer and taylor leonhart and don't forget my friend you can't change your life until you change your mind and the good news is you can start today hey are you ready to change your life if the answer is yes there's only one rule you have to change your mind first and my friend there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it, and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Well, friend, we're back. I'm so excited to be back on the show with my friend Clarissa Mall. Welcome back, Clarissa. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to see you again. And uh, of course, we had you back on the show when your book came out back in October of last year. And uh, I've got my signed copy right here. I referenced that a few times during our talk. How are things going these days? They're going well. Yeah, it's uh, hard to believe that it's been four years almost since my husband died. Um, Our lives Mm -hmm. are very different now, but uh, I can definitely say that they are joyful and, um, and it's complex, but it's also really good. Wow, that's right. That's exactly right. As time passes, it's it has got this dual nature, doesn't it, of this thing that never stops and, and life that keeps going. And so it's interesting. 
Yeah. Well, so tell us, um, in case somebody hasn't heard your story, I'll, I'll set it up, of course, before um, they hear this part. But tell us a little bit about what happened in your family. You've got four kids and, and, and life was going great. And, and what happened? That's right. Yeah, life was really good. We uh, we had just moved across the country for a, a big promotion for my husband, uh, and he was excited about being in the Boston area. And we took a vacation, and unfortunately, during our vacation, uh, my husband fell to his death and um, mm. smack dab in the middle of our vacation. Not anything you ever plan on an itinerary, that's for sure. Uh, And it certainly rearranged not just our trip, but our entire lives. So after a month of spending time with friends and family, uh, we headed back home and uh, and came back to the rubble of the life that we had known before. And it's really been four years of rebuilding together as a team of five now, being able to look at these four kids and say, not just these are my children, but this is my family and to re-envision the identity of, of uh, who we are and to step uh, with hope and a little bit of trepidation, to be honest, into um, the, the path that God has set before us. Wow. Had you ever had a thought like before that day, like, had you ever spent much time thinking about what would happen if some big change like that came along in your life? Is that was it just completely like a new thought to you, or had you ever had that been in your mind before? Yeah, that's a good question. I had um, I had a dear friend of mine in college who lost her mom when we were just graduating, and uh, that event really rocked my world. It was the first time yeah. that death had come close enough that I could envision someone that I loved dying. Um, not just like grandparents or people that had um, been in my life in a peripheral kind of way, but someone central to my life. And it was after that that I began to look at my relationships differently. I began to ask myself questions like, what if my husband died? Uh, What if my mom or my dad died? Uh, What if a death occurred out of the natural order of things? So even though my husband's death certainly was a surprise, it was a sudden loss, it was something that I had thought about, and uh, because of his work, we had talked about too. Yeah, I mean, you, your husband—it's—it's—it's it's, it's ironic. I was going to say funny, but it's not funny. But it's—it's it's providential. Maybe he had written a book about dying before all that happened, right? That's right. Yeah, he was a hospice volunteer, and uh, he worked at a funeral home on the night shift. He was a journalist and was uh, reporting on euthanasia and, and the death with dignity movement and wanted to really understand how Christians could do this well. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, death was part of our family conversations and, well, as we were raising toddlers and babies. And I didn't like it at all. I thought it was yeah. morbid. And uh, I certainly would have preferred other conversations, but that was of uh, interest to him. And he felt really passionate about helping people to understand that the way we live now impacts the way we die and um, and that understanding our mortality and not running away from it can actually help us to flourish now and and live fully. Wow. So you had you had intellectually thought about these things and you and your husband, Rob, had, had, had talked about it. He had written about it and all that. But what were some of the internal you said you had all these what ifs, all these questions that you'd ask yourself. What were some of the answers to those what ifs that you had over the years? Oh, well, I would say, well, if if my husband died, 
I'd, I would stay put. I wouldn't move anywhere. I would continue to homeschool my kids. I would be independent. I would, um, I would show everybody that I could do this. And there was a real kind of, um, pull yourself by your, up by your bootstraps kind of mentality that I had about this, that, uh, Death wasn't going to do me in. Right. Now, of course, <laughs> when I met it face to face, that was a, certainly a different experience. And I realized uh, for the first time in in really, I think, my adult life, the necessity of interdependence, the necessity That's of nice. community, uh, the necessity of flexibility and openness to God's plan, even when it's mystery and uh, the necessity of holding my own plans with a delicate hand. And so, um, death. When I encountered death, it wasn't as I expected, but I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned through that experience. Wow, there's a there's a guy that I wrote about a patient that I took care of named I called him Lucky Chuck in the book, and he his wife got breast cancer, and and I remember him telling me that she said to him be, before they even knew how bad it was, she said, "Make your decisions about God and who He is." now because you're going to need them later and you don't want to be dealing with those big questions when i get really sick and if i die decide now like did some of that kind of thing play out for you like some decisions that you had made about god in the past turn out to be important to you after rob died oh for sure yeah it two years prior i had actually committed to spending a year in spiritual direction and uh, during that year, spent a whole season unpacking the idea of God as Father and God as Provider, and uh, and learning to love a God I couldn't see, who I had to lean into with a level of trust that honestly I wasn't ready to offer pretty much anybody. And yeah. so uh, after Rob died, it was kind of like, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do you actually believe those things about God? Do you believe He can be? trusted? Do you believe he can be good to you even when you have no idea what he's doing? Um, can you hold on to hope when it feels yeah. like everything is hopeless? Um, so yeah, I, I, am, I am grateful for the way that, um, that God initiated that season of spiritual direction because I do feel in some ways that uh, you know hindsight is twenty twenty, but I I see that he was preparing me by drawing me near to him in that way, knowing yeah. that I would need his intimate presence um, really, really badly very soon. Wow. And during that season, did you learn some new things about God that you hadn't known or encountered before, Clarissa? Yeah, I think I had always felt like God was kind of a uh, capricious. You know, he would yeah. he would do things randomly. Uh, you know, some people were, seemed to be blessed and other people seemed to have a really hard time. You know, there was the person who always seemed to sit and glue, like that, you know, something yeah. always bad would happen to them. Why? They seemed like such nice people. I, I had a real transactional understanding of God that if I would do what was right, things would pan out. Yeah. Uh, that if I obeyed, he'd be faithful. And, um, uh, and that year of spiritual direction really blew that idea out of the water that wow. I, even though I was a parent to four children and understood that parenting must come with unconditional love, uh, I really began to tear apart, to dismantle and kind of unravel those unhealthy uh, beliefs about God and step into a reality of uh a father like the father in the story of the prodigal son who stood there waiting with no judgment and only grace and mercy yeah. and uh, didn't have a checklist 
that I had to meet before I was able to um, be in relationship with him. Wow. So you had, it, it's interesting to me, we, we, we teach people CPR and we teach people how to run defibrillators and we tell people how to change tires and we prepare, prepare ourselves for these things that, that may not happen, but they might. And, and we prepare ourselves for all these eventualities, but, but most people don't really prepare themselves for these big things like losing your husband unexpectedly, having your son stabbed to death unexpectedly. So, so what's the wisdom that you would share with our listener today? You know, somebody out there listening who hasn't yet had that big thing in their life, like what little nugget of wisdom could you give them about preparedness that you learned from what you went through? Mm. You know, I think we're inundated with stories of disaster in yeah. uh, the media, on online, in social media, and we can become kind of numb to that. Uh because it's too much for our nervous systems to handle. It's too much for our hearts to handle it. We were never made to carry the weight of the world. And the problem with that numbness is that we become numb to the individual, the local kinds of losses and pain that we actually really experience. Yeah. So I think the first thing that I would say would be to, you know, stop the stop the buzz of media and simply look around you you know who are the hurting people who are around you where if i look in the mirror myself where if i'm honest with myself am i hurting yeah. and uh and when we start at that hyper local level uh we begin to cultivate the skills of empathy and compassion. Um, we learn that there's not a pat, pat answer of thoughts and prayers. You know, it's easy yeah. to type that out on social media, but that's super hard to say to your neighbor yeah. when she's crying in your arms. Uh, you realize you need something more. And I think that kind of um, hyper local and intimate kind of attentiveness toward the pain in the world allows us to cultivate those fruits of the spirit that we are going to need when something comes and and arrives at our doorstep that causes us pain. And I think, you know, it, it cultivates in us a healthy sensitivity, a sensitivity to uh, the, the problems and the issues that are around us that we can have influence over. And uh, and in cultivating that sensitivity, I think it makes us feel a little less powerless when we interact with uh, with pain in the broader world. Wow, that was a good answer. <laughs> I'll listen to that one again. You know, I think that a couple of things you said in there to unpack it. One is this this thoughts and prayers things. Um, it's so easy to like somebody's post and say praying for you. Um, how often do we really pray for them? And, mm-hmm. and, and but in in this hyper local idea that you just said, like like, what kinds of things did people say to you um, shortly after Rob died that were particularly helpful, and what kinds of things were harmful? Um, you talk about that a little bit, like, and, and I have some experience with that. What ought we to say in in this moment of somebody else's devastating loss? Like, w- talk about that for a moment. Yeah, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, affirm this world is so broken. Yeah. Um, this world is not as it should be. Affirm those truths about uh, the the destruction that exists in our world because of sin. I think that's yeah. a helpful thing for people to hear when um, you know they know it already, but they're feeling it intimately, and to have someone affirm that allows them to um, to feel release to feel it as deeply as they need to. 
I think things like um, I have no words aren't yeah. actually all that helpful uh, because there's a sense of isolation that comes when nobody seems to have anything that they can say to you. And so, you know, I often tell folks just fumble around, you know, uh, stump words of consolation and, um, and say what you can say, apologize when you need to, um, make eye contact, give a hug. That kind of proximity helps to interpret the words we say. I think that's sometimes why things get messy and muddled with people who are hurting because we give our consolation from a distance, get near, get close, uh, get intimate in your relationship so that, you know, when you screw up, which eventually you will do, you know, I, I have thought since my husband died, how many times I said, quote unquote, the wrong thing to someone yeah. who was grieving. Uh, I'm no pro, but um, the more you you cultivate closeness and intimacy with others, the more that kind of forgiving spirit will exist between you so that your words come as a balm and uh, and not as salt in the wound. Wow, that's right. And and I would just generally advise the listener to delete most of Romans chapter eight from the early <laughs> part of your counseling to your friends. <laughs> like, don't say this is going to work out for good right after your husband dies, right? That's right. Yeah. Instead, uh, quote Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with pain. He was uh, was bruised for us. He was afflicted. Uh, There's nothing that a grieving person finds more comfort in than to know that that Jesus understands what it feels like to experience what they're experiencing. That's right. Amen. I, I, I realized as I, you know, my second book I've seen the interview was about dealing with people with brain tumors and, and fatal disease processes. And, and in the midst of all that is when her son died, when I was writing that book. Um, and I realized that, that brain cancer is not the deadliest disease that man can encounter. It's hopelessness, right? Yeah. Like what? So in the, in the moments after Rob dies and the moments after Mitch dies and when, in these times right after big loss like that, what was it for you that made you say, I'm in this darkness, but I know there's still light out there somewhere. Like, what was it for you that that gave you the gumption to keep looking for the light again? Yeah. Well, you know, I've got to tell you, Lee, when I read that in your book, I thought, wow, I, I don't want to get that disease. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it. I think that was that was the thing that struck me very soon after Rob died that I was faced with a decision. I was faced with a decision uh, of of choosing to walk toward hope or um or giving up altogether, despairing altogether because there were so many people who said, I can't imagine what this would be like. And yes, it was my worst nightmare. And um, and I am not a rose-colored glasses person. I, I believe in talking about death with real words and yeah. honoring how hard it is. Um, but each of us has a choice because um, hopelessness is a preventable illness. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to steal that. It is it it is it is not um it is not incurable and uh and and so even if you feel like you've self-diagnosed hopelessness as it were after a, a period of deep pain or something really difficult um it's not the end 
there is a cure. And so I think that was for me, that realization of, um, I feel hopeless right now because of what has happened in my life. And I am utterly in the dark. Um, but this isn't the end of me. I I would say to myself, Rob has died, but I am not dead too. And, um, and that was something that sometimes I had to say it until I believed it. But it was that uh, repetition that determined one foot in front of the other, knowing that God's promises were true in the valley as well as on the mountaintops. Um, yeah, believing that hopelessness didn't have to be my uh, my final diagnosis. That's right. I, I teach people this little concept that we call self-brain surgery, you know, because I'm a brain surgeon, so... I come up with something <laughs> that works for my workflow. But the first tenet of it is is feelings aren't facts. Like feelings are chemical events in your brain. And sometimes they point towards things that are true. Often they don't. And when you had that feeling, you know, it feels hopeless, but it's really not. There's a path. There's a, there's a way to get back to the light. I think that's so important. So talk to us now. So you, you're four years into this journey. And you've got four kids and you, you know, this grieving mother. At some point, you made a decision to start trying to help other people who were hurting too. And you, your Instagram is a beautiful example of that. By the way, and I'll put your, your Instagram handle on the show notes, but, but you're always teaching us like you, even your book, the subtitle is a, a gentle guide to living with grief and thriving after loss. So what, when was the switch for you to, I'm, I'm not going to just do this alone. I'm going to help other people too. And has that turned out to be more helpful to you than you thought it might be? Certainly it has uh, turned out to be more helpful than I thought it would be. I, uh, when I began writing after Rob's death, I wrote mostly just to tell friends and family how we were doing because none of them had ever experienced the loss of a husband at a young age with young children at home. And they genuinely didn't know how to take care of us. And they were honest about that. And I appreciated their honesty. And, um, and you know, the worst thing is to cast a grieving person in the role of educator, having to educate those around them. And yet how are we going to do this better unless we have somebody who's willing to say, okay, I'll go first. I'm going to tell you how hard this is and uh, the pitfalls that I run into. I'm going to tell you about my successes and my failures. I'm going to tell you what hurts when you say it and what really helps. Uh, We need somebody who's willing to step forward and do that or else we're just going to stay stuck in the mire of, uh, you know, pat answers and, and mythology that doesn't really serve us well. Um, and so when I I began to do that for my family and friends and realized, oh, my burden is actually lessened by inviting them into my story. What if, what if everybody's burdens could be lessened if they had someone to carry it with them, someone who knew how to carry that burden with them. And out of that, yeah, grew um, a work in bereavement advocacy that has been so refreshing to me uh, because I see other people begin to share their burdens with others and find that they're met not with distance or isolation, but with willing helpers. And, uh, and, that really gives me hope. That's amazing. So you know that the, the the feeling I get feelings aren't facts, but the, the the feeling I get when I read your post, it it 
it, it's you can tell you're a mother like you have this sort of um this guiding leader sort of trustworthy guide kind of feel to your posts and and i realized at some point like you had to have made a decision like i know that i have navigated this path th- this little piece of the path that i'm on in a way that could be helpful to others and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw them out enough breadcrumbs so they can find their way too that's what it feels like when you read your work and so congratulations on doing that is this extremely helpful and important Thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, what we do, you and I, is um, we speak from the pain that yeah. we have, uh, that has befallen us. But um, but I really believe that none of it is wasted. And, uh, and right. not that we see, not in a transactional way that we see these fruits of our pain played out in our lives, but that in God's mysterious kindness, uh, he is doing work in us. And, yeah. uh, and I believe that for each grieving person that, you know, you, you in your situation may not have the wherewithal to get out of bed, let alone tell anybody else how, right. you know, how it is to grieve. Uh, but you can believe that even in the midst of that darkness, that God is working, God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't a plan, abandoned the plan that he has for your life that is good and, um, and great. And, um, you know, that's, that's the position that we all are in. I think, um, Ram Das says we're all just walking each other home and that's yeah. kind of how it feels. That's right. I love that. I, I mean, for me it, and Lisa and our family, it, 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 we, we kept running into these people shortly after Mitch died who had been through something like that and it became their whole life. Like these folks that got stuck in support groups for 20 years and never were able to move past or these people that were wrecked and emotionally destroyed. And, and we just, we sat down one day and we were like, this has to be an and and not a but. And our like, can't be, we were okay, but Mitch died or we were happy, but this happened. And, and, and it had to be and like, because that's never, Rob's never going to come back and mm-hmm. Mitch is never going to come back. And you have four kids and and you're young and you've got a life to live and, and all that stuff. And so for us, it was, it has to be this quantum physics thing where these two things can be true at the same time. And, you know, we can grieve and we can never be over that, but now we have something else too that we have to live. And so seeing that play out in people um, is really inspiring and you're doing that. And, and I, I want you to just tell us now, like four years into this thing, What's your life look like now? And give us a little piece of what it can look like when somebody grabs onto hope and, and keeps going. What does it look like now? Sure. Well, I think I could tell you all of the things that were sort of material. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm engaged to be married again. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> excited about the merging of families. I have a job I love. My children are well-adjusted. But I think there's a danger in um, in sharing those kinds of things as markers of sort of success after loss, because everybody's story looks different. And uh, whether it is a woman who lost her husband who chooses not to marry again or doesn't have the opportunity to marry again, certainly that's not a defining feature of what it means to have moved forward with your loss. Right. And so I prefer to think about uh, that moving forward as something that is that God is doing inside of me and inside of each grieving person as they make those steps toward hope, however faltering they may be. You know, do I find that I trust God with my circumstances more? Yeah, I do. Uh, do I find that I'm more willing to um, to listen to His wisdom rather than follow my own? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, Do I worry less about the future and uh, spend far more time investing in now? Yeah, I do. And so when I think about those kind of character developments, have I developed more peace? Am I more patient? Uh, Am I more forgiving? Then I can say, all right, I think grief has done its work in me or grief is doing its work in me and will continue to do it. And I think those are those are sort of benchmarks that anybody can meet uh, as they as they desire to move toward hope, um, you know, to seek after a more forgiving spirit. Yeah. And when you notice that in yourself, celebrate it. You know, this is grief's work in me. This is what God is doing in me to transform my loss into purpose. Uh, I think those things are far better markers than the sort of external things that we often describe uh, when we talk about moving on after after loss. Oh, that's right. That's 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 that promise from James about when he says rejoice when you encounter suffering because it's going to produce some stuff. It's another one of those verses not to throw at people early, <laughs> but it, <laughs> when right. you look at it in retrospect, right? It's true. Like like you've been refined. Isaiah said, "I've been refined in the furnace of suffering," and 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 that's true. I mean, I'm a I'm a less controlling, um, less stressed out neurosurgeon type guy and my dogs are coming to say hi hey guys um i'm less of that stuff than i was before and and that's a refining process that you can't have if you don't go through something hard like most people don't get really spiritually formed in a life of ease and and good outcomes right We, we 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 are formed by pain um so that's a that's a great point that you made i guess the last thing i would ask you it's sort of you're you're still writing, right? You, you haven't. You're not just a one book author. What what are you working on now? So I've got three books coming soon. Uh, I have a <laughs> yes. <an> underachiever. Huh? <laughs> I've got a book for teens, grieving teens. Uh, you know, after a COVID epidemic where uh, more than five hundred thousand children in the United States lost a parent or wow. a primary caregiver, there's certainly um, a great grief that hangs as a cloud over a lot of children now. And uh, certainly youth mental health statistics, you know, the U.S. Surgeon General's report last year was pretty bleak. Uh, So I'm excited about that resource for grieving teens. I've got a devotional coming out uh, to guide folks through uh, 40 days in the wilderness experience of loss. And then I'm super excited about a children's picture book that I have introducing really young children to the language of loss, helping them to understand that uh, all the ways we grieve as humans are uh, God's amazing capacity built into us to honor what is lost and and, um, and to hold on to hope. Wow, that's amazing. So be sure and let me know when those are coming out. I'd be happy to have you back on the show and help folks Thank get you. to know about your books. And um, so, so in a shameless plug for my book, um, <laughs> tell, tell us just did did you learn anything from Hope is the First Dose that you think will be helpful to other people? Yes, yeah, I think that um, you know. Th- your stories fascinate me, and I love to see how God designed us for for the kinds of things He places before us. And so, you know, as as I read your book, I, I uh, was struck once again by how fearfully and wonderfully made we are—not just for resilience, but for resurrection too. And um, and 
that um, that we have hope written in our in our bones. That's right. And uh, so, for the person who has experienced something difficult, um, you step forward and and you remind us of who we are—not just who we are inside in our in our hearts and our spirits, but who God has actually formed us to be as people. And um, He's given us all the tools we need to be able to um, to meet the challenges that we face, and and not just cling to hope, but eventually link our and walk confidently again with hope. And, uh, and your book certainly offers that to readers. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's great hearing, uh, hearing that from somebody like you that's, that's taught me so much about hope and faith. And, and just give us one last little, um, somebody who's in, in the early days, like what do you say um, to the darkest moment of somebody's life? What does Clarissa Mall have to say to us today about what to do next? Hmm. I would say to that person the the prayer that I in, in encouraged my daughter to pray this morning as we were sitting at the pediatrician's office getting ready for that um ever feared vaccination appointment yeah. said we're going to breathe in and we're going to say Jesus is with me and then we're going to breathe out and we're going to say Jesus keeps me safe. Wow. And that just quiet breathing, breathing in, Jesus is with me, and breathing out, Jesus will keep me safe. I think uh, it engages our minds, it engages our bodies, and it reminds us the truth that um, that this man of suffering knows us and uh, will never abandon us in these darkest days. Amen. Beautiful. Clarissa Mall, so good to see you again. Thank you for your time today. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Lee. What a wonderful conversation. Uh, she's just so uh, full of life and hope, and she's getting remarried, and just God is being good to her, and she's a great guy. Listen, if you're not following Clarissa on Instagram, um, she's just got a wonderful channel of encouraging thoughts and ideas about recovery from grief and, and stepping into the new future that, that God has got for you, um, and it's just it's a great channel you should follow, and I encourage you highly to read her book, Beyond the Darkness. If you're dealing with something hard, it's very, very helpful. And I'm so grateful that Clarissa read and has endorsed. She's one of my jacket endorsers for Hope is the First Dose. And I just want you to remember, friend, when the massive thing happens, there is a treatment plan. There is a path to recovery. God will give you the ability to find the light again. There's a way forward. There's a treatment plan. And hope is the first dose. from his head his hands and his feet sorrow and love flow mingled down did have such love and sorrow me or thorns
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.